little taste of Tom Kyle this morning. He's back in town, so welcome him. So good morning. My name is Tom Kyle. My, my lovely wife, Randy, is in the front row, and we have the privilege of serving here, and it's great to be here. Uh, my wife and I were on vacation for a week, and we had a great time away. Uh, loved it, and last Sunday, you had the opportunity, uh, Don Kassebaum shared. It was amazing, awesome, as, as we would expect, and uh, we're, we're just, uh, when, when my wife and I are away, we're always just so privileged in, privileged in coming back and thinking, we, we love this church family. We're, we're privileged to be part of it and to serve here, and uh, so we we missed you guys, and we're thrilled to be back, and amen, I'm excited to speak this morning. So we're going to continue in a series. Uh, we started in January, and it's for 2019, and it's for all the related churches that work with this church, Life Church. It's Life Streams is the name of the group of churches that work together, and as Guy mentioned a few minutes ago, a man named Daniel Reynolds, he'll be here in April ministering on a Sunday. Uh, Daniel Reynolds is one of the uh, men, and the, he and his wife Fiona, uh, that we work with. They pastor the church in Chicago, uh, in St. Charles, Illinois, and also they work in a, a related church in Bath, England. And it's funny, Josh Luke Smith, that dude, I'm going to go out on the limb right now. Sunday, uh, the 31st of this month, when he ministers, it's going to be one of the best Sundays of the year. Yeah. I'm so excited about this young man. Most of you don't know about him. He signed a national, international recording, music label thing, whatever that is. He and his wife, uh, in the last few months, my wife and I had the privilege when we lived in England 30 plus years ago, he was a one-year-old. We were in the same church with him when we were going to Bible school. And I'm like, he done growed up. And, and he's got a beard. And I think that was more like his dad, right? Yeah, the beard was more like his father. But Josh Luke Smith, he's just amazing. He's anointed. He's kind. He's prophetic. He's, he just has a powerful ministry. And his wife, like many people here, his wife is one of the sweetest people you will ever come across. So he'll be ministering here that entire weekend. It'll be outstanding for impact. So uh, I'm just so excited. So anyway, 2019... The series we're on is Know, Grow, and Go. I don't know if we have an overhead slide, but there you go. Uh, so this is 2019. We're going to look at four different, uh, three different sections, four months each in Knowing God. And it's a passage out of Daniel 11:32. It's just the back end of uh, verse 32 out of Daniel 11. It says, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. They, those that know God if we understand what he's like, if we can comprehend what he's really like, then we can be strong because of our knowledge and relationship with him. And those who are strong can then go and do mighty exploits. So that's our theme for 2019. We've had some great, outstanding meetings so far, just understanding what God is like, who, who he really is. Uh, many of us, not myself, but many of us in this room, you grew up in church settings and uh, maybe different denominations, different non-denominational backgrounds. And as a child, you, you heard what God is like, and we all form opinions. God's like this. No, he's like this. He's like this. And like myself, maybe you didn't go to church anywhere. And I had opinions. I had more opinions than you did who did go to church about what God was like. And I didn't want to have anything to do with them because I, in my skewed understanding of um, sin and depravity, and I was not a church boy growing up, 
I just, I had a pretty good idea what God was like. And then I met him. And then I started reading the Bible. And I thought he's like, he's nothing like what I had understood. He's nothing like what I comprehended him to be like. And so we, we have the, the beauty of the word of God to bring revelation, to bring understanding. This is what he's like. He's, he's not like the, the religious would have us believe he's this way, this way, this way. The Bible it's kind of his story, his person. It's just a glimpse. He's so much bigger than just the Bible. He's, so, he's the God of the cosmos. He's amazing. He's huge. He's vast. Words can't describe him accurately. But he did give us the word of God. that We could, as it were, peek through the keyhole of what he's like. And we're going to have eternity, a lot, you know, forever and ever and ever, times forever and ever, to comprehend and understand what he's really like. When we get there, we're like, I, I wish I'd known what you were like. And so over these 12 months, we're going to be looking and understanding and uh, allowing revelation to unfold in our, on our understanding what he's really like. He's not like what so many religious people would paint. He's amazing. He's incredible. He's multifaceted, multidimensional. He's this, and yet he's this. He's that, and yet he's that. And Father, help me to understand and grasp who you are. So if you're a guest, we welcome you here. I just want to acknowledge one person here this morning, and forgive me for not acknowledging you. You're important, as important. We have Josh Rhodes here. Josh, could you stand up real quick? Many of us know him as Fresh. Josh is studying in uh, Sydney, Australia at Hillsong, and he was here when this church started, and he's way overseas, and you can talk to him. He still sounds like a St. Louis, and I'm, I'm sorry, you know, but it's good. He's maintained his, his Midwest accent, but gosh, we love you, we're for you. It's just wonderful to see you and just, I don't know, just being with you, just, just seeing God's goodness. And um, so, we, you know, we have Jack Hooker here. He was earlier. He may be out with dead. There he is. Jack is here from the north of Missouri, still hopefully has a little Missouri twang, and we love that. It's good. It's lovely. We love Missouri twang. This morning, in knowing and going through knowing God and understanding God, that's the first four months of the, of the year, what we're looking at is knowing and comprehending God. This morning, I just want to touch on it, maybe end up being a two-parter. This morning, and, and it's kind of sometimes for some people, it's a, a scary subject or an, ooh, this is going to be a Debbie Downer. But it's not because it's God. And if I understand him, I can come to terms with how I relate with him. But this morning, when I want to talk about God is a holy God, H-O-L-Y, holy. He's a holy God. And the title for this morning is a little different, especially when you're talking about a holy God. The title for this morning's message is Q-Tip or Chainsaw? It dovetails perfectly in with a holy God, doesn't it? Q-Tip or Chainsaw? And if you could, if you, if you have Bibles and if you want to do that, you can follow along. We're going to have the scriptures appear uh, amazingly on the, on the overhead in just a second in Numbers 20, uh, verse 2 through 13. I'm going to, is it okay if we read the Bible some this morning? Is it all right if we look through the Bible? Because again, it helps us. Not in my own vain imaginations of what God is like. The Bible brings boundaries. It brings health. It's, it provides a rail for the train of life to run through, that I'm not in my own weirdness. Well, I think God's like this. No, the Bible 
helps me not get into weirdness. Anybody prone to weirdness? Don't raise your hand. That's all, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I guess I had mine up too. I'm right with you. But the first passage of scripture we're going to look at is this amazing guy out of the Old Testament named Moses. Anybody heard of Moses? Moses was amazing. Moses was the man of God. In the New Testament, when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, two men appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Two men who represented the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. Moses was the man. Moses did it all. He was probably, aside from maybe King David, the most famous person in the Old Testament. Moses was a man of God, anointed. He was in uh, the, the New Testament appearing, representing the old covenant. Moses was amazing, but Moses was a man. Moses was a man who had issues, just like me and you. So I want to read a short passage of scripture. The Israelites have been delivered. They're out in the wilderness. They're wandering. And as many of you will know, Moses was leading these people for 40 years, and they were challenges. If you're 40 years old and you've been around people, people have challenges. Yes? We don't. They do. Right? Exactly. We're on the same page. So Moses is a leader. Moses is amazing. Moses has been leading his people for years and years, decades. And this is just a short snippet of his leadership and how he was coping. And he was serving a holy God. Everybody say holy holy God. This is Moses, amazing man of God. Numbers 20, verse 2 through 13. They're in the wilderness. They're struggling. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition. Everybody say opposition. 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 If you're a leader, you don't like that word. Bad word. The people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, his brother. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. What a positive group of people. I want to party with these folks. Come at Christmas. I want you. They continued, why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place. And remember, they're in bondage and cruel slavery. And now they're in the wilderness saying, hey, we had it so great in slavery. We were getting beaten and abused. We loved it back there. Why did you, Moses and Aaron, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, I want you to listen real carefully what the Lord said to Moses. Take the staff, which is his rod, his stick, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock the rock that followed them, just a little miracle, speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. What was Moses supposed to do? Speak Speak to the rock. Talk to it. You will bring water out of the rock 
for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice. What did he do? He struck the rock twice with his staff. And water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. You're not going what I'm going to give them. These are, were the waters of Mirabah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he, had, he was proved holy among them. Not fair. Who was grumbling? Who was complaining? The people. And they were aiming it all at Moses. He's been leading them faithfully. He defended them. If you have read a little bit in Numbers, he defended the people over and over and over. But this time, this time, the people are grumbling again. So Moses and his brother go before the Lord. What do we do? The Lord says, I want you to go. Talk to the rock. Speak to the rock. Water for the people and their livestock. Bless them. And Moses has had it up to here. Moses is sick after decades of obstinate people, quarreling people, frustrated people. They're saying, hey, we wish we were back in slavery and we were getting beaten up. We had it so cool back there. It was only 430 years of slavery. Man, we were... We were sitting on top of pumpkin pie. I hate pumpkin pie, by the way. It was so good back there. Man, what, why did you get us out of slavery and bondage? We hate where we're at, and it's your fault. So Moses, after a few decades of this, says, you know what? He goes to the people. He stands in front of them. And he says, you bunch of rebels, which was actually true. What Moses said was accurate. For 40 years, they'd been, the people had been rebellious. 40 years, they'd been complaining, grumbling, mumbling, bickering, angry, attacking Moses, attacking Aaron. What he said to them, what he called them was true. And then out of increased anger, he turns around and smacks the rock twice with his staff. And said, I, on the inside, I'm sick of you. You want your stupid water? Whack, whack. And you know what? Water came out. Because God's a good God. God's a good God. He's a good God. In spite of where Moses was personally, leading God's people for decades, and all they did was 
fuss and argue and bicker and accuse and attack. The people need to be blessed because they're God's people. So Moses whacked the rock twice. Water gushes out. And then God pulls Moses and Aaron aside and said, no, no. There's a couple of million people, and when you speak, Moses, they think that's what I'm saying. When you speak, they think you're mirroring what I'm feeling. And I'm not feeling that. You misrepresented me. I'm a holy God. I'm speaking for the Lord. Lord, forgive me. But it's as if the Lord is saying, they're my people. And I didn't want you to call them a rebel. I didn't want you to smoke, smote the rock twice. Just talk to it. Let the people be blessed. Let me deal with them. They're my people. I'm a holy God. Don't misrepresent me. I'm a holy, holy God. And I'm going to take the people into the promised land. And I want to take the people into the promised land that they would understand what I'm really like. And right now you're tired and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're old. And you haven't changed, Moses. You're like, what do you mean he hasn't changed? Do you remember what got Moses into the problem in the first place? He was at Exodus chapter 2. He's in Pharaoh's palace and he sees an, an Egyptian harming an Israelite. And the scripture says, Moses looked this way and he looked that way. Seeing no one looking, he went out and killed the Egyptian. Why? Because he was angry. It's wrong. I'm going to end this problem. I'm sick of the injustice. And in Moses' anger, he killed the Egyptian in Exodus 2. He, Moses had a little anger issue. Anybody else have an anger issue? I mean, you don't have to raise your hands. Don't get mad. <laughs> I'm changing the point right away. I sense the hostility. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Moses had an anger issue that he didn't deal with. Decades later, Still, you push his buttons long enough, whack. You rebels, whack. God says, that's not what I want you to say. That's not what I want you to represent. I am a holy God. Represent me accurately. And going into the promised land, I don't want that. I'm sorry, you're going to stay on this side. You didn't deal with your stuff. You're a great, amazing leader. But going into the promised land, we need a different heart, a different heartbeat. And this young kid named Joshua has got that heartbeat. Different message for a different day. In Numbers, just to finish up the story, Numbers 27, verse 12 to 14. Their people are now at the edge of the Jordan River. And the Lord said to Moses, go up to this mountain in the Abarim range. And see the land I have given the Israelites. After you have seen it, he said, Moses, I want you to look over, look at the promised land. After you've seen it, you too will be gathered to your people. Code for, you ain't going in. Code for, you are going up. You don't get to go in. This is seven chapters later. After you've seen it, you too will be gathered to your people. 
as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters at the desert of Zen, both of you, Moses and Aaron, you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before the people's eyes, before their eyes. And it, to me, it seems, it seems kind of harsh, humanly speaking. The Lord says, I, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about people understanding that I'm a holy God and I'm good and I'm kind. And when the people go into the promised land, I want a new heartbeat of my people. I want people to understand what I'm really like because I don't want the people thinking I'm this angry God, vindictive, vengeful, smote, smoke, kill them. I want a different leader who's going to represent me that I am a holy God. Fast track a couple thousand years. The church of Jesus Christ has started. Jesus has come, lived his life, 33 years, healing, wholeness, miracles, power, signs and wonders. It's amazing. And the people, the people, the non-churchy people, the non-religious people, they loved Jesus. They loved him. Tens of thousands swarmed to him. They loved him. But the religious people hated Jesus because he was, from, he was many things, but he was tearing at their power base, pulling the people away from what they wanted, their man-made rules. Because they added so much to what Moses brought in the Ten Commandments. See, they added all these traditions. You can't do this, you can't do that. You can't heal on Saturday. You can't do this, you can't eat that. You gotta wash. And Jesus is like, I ain't doing none of what you want. I'm gonna represent my Father. And I'm gonna bring heaven on earth. And the people loved it. And the religious people killed him for it. Which was the plan all along. The plan didn't fail, the plan was achieved. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to die on a cross for people who could never live rightly on their own. So he died that we might live and experience forgiveness. You know, somebody gave their heart to Jesus this morning right here. That's a beautiful thing. So the church is birthed, and in Acts chapter 5, I want to pick up a story. Again, it's not a great story. This is not a Debbie Downer. We're going up, 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 right? Everybody say up, up. But there is reality stories in the Bible that help me understand. They grab my attention and help me grasp with the realities of who God really is, what he's really like. In Acts chapter 5, the story starts out with a couple. And things were happening. The church had just been birthed. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people had got saved. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, as the church started, the Bible says this. This is how, the, how cool and awesome the church was when it first started. Well, still was, is, now, more, the same. But it started this way, too. In Acts 2.45, it says, they, the church, people, sold property and possessions. They sold what? Their property and possessions to give to anyone who has need. How would you like to be part of a church like that? Anybody's in need? Hey, I got an extra house. Or you could just give me the house. You don't have to sell it. I mean, I'm sorry. Just my thought. People are in need and people are selling property and possessions to meet the needs of people. Then we pick it up in Acts chapter 5. And this puts a text and a context for what's happening in Acts chapter 5. So people are selling possessions and giving so that people are blessed who don't have something. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Two people. 
a couple, just in the church, just normal people in the church. Now a man named Ananias, person number one. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Also sold, yeah, people are selling property so that people in the church are blessed. It was common, that's what they were doing. It's a beautiful thing that was happening. Together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, husband kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter, our good guy, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think you could do such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Hello, wakey, wakey. New day in Dodge. So here's the story. Let's put it in modern context. People are struggling in the church. Ananias and Sapphira own an extra piece of property and they sell it. And they sell it for $100,000, let's say. Sell it for a hundred grand. But they decide to keep 50 of it back for themselves and bring 50,000. Now, would you think it's pretty generous if you had a piece of property and you decided to give 50 to the church? Has anybody done that? I have not yet. I'm willing to learn. And the problem is Ananias and Sapphira said, hey, we sold a piece of property for $50,000. Here's all of it. Peter, a man of the spirit, understands liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He's standing in front of this guy looking at him. He's like, really? You sold the property for 50 and you're bringing all of it. Ananias goes, that's right. Peter says, that's wrong. And Peter says, dude, you could have done, this is the scripture, you could have done anything you wanted with it. You could have given all 50, all 100. You could have kept 50. You could have given 10. It's your property. Do whatever you want with it. But you lied to God. You pretended you're giving everything to God. You could do whatever you want. You didn't have to give any of it. Go to Jamaica. Do whatever. It's your money. But to walk into church, into the presence of a holy God, in the presence of a holy God, where miracles are happening, and to lie and act like you're bringing all of it, that's the story. And, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Oh, I bet. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, this is tidy, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Efficient. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? 50 grand. Yes, she said, that's the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. 
and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, they just buried Bob, Ananias. Sorry, Bob, you're okay. The young guy's coming in sweaty, hot. Oh, okay, second burial, all right. That's what we do here. We're going to carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. In the text, in verse 3, Peter, standing up, says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. In the text, verse 4, you've not lied just to human beings, but you lied to God. Verse 9, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? He's a holy God, and you think he's just not listening? You don't think he's God? Now, I do want to say this is the only text like it in the New Testament. But God wanted to establish something early in the days of the church. I'm a holy God. And I want my people to be holy. And the church flourished after that. It didn't, you know, normally, okay, church empty. We got 10,000 next week. We got three. Reset. Everybody's freaked out. No. It says the church grew after that. Because people want to fall in love and stay in love and walk with a holy God. All he wants is us just to be honest. If you sold it for 50, it's 50. If you sold it for 100, it's 100. Do with it whatever you want. But we serve a holy God. And that's a challenge for some of us to consider, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? The whole church learned something that day about God. He's holy. But I just want to say this also. The Holy Spirit judged these two people, not Peter. That's the difference. And that's one of the main differences that I want to make this morning. Who brought judgment on these people? The Holy Spirit did. Not a man. Not me. Not you. God did business. Not a man. Totally different. Because you remember Peter in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is being arrested the bad guys come, the religious dudes, and Peter, as Jesus is about to be arrested, pulls out his sword and hacks off this guy's ear named Malchus. Whack! You're not going to touch my Jesus. No way! And Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, dude, wrong. Put your sword away. It's not for you to administer justice. I'm God. I'll administer justice. So Jesus picks up Malchus' ear, <laughs> does what Jesus does. Maybe he spit, I don't know. <laughs> Subjective, I get it. But this is the same Peter. But he's learned. I'm not the one that's bringing judgment. If God wants to bring judgment, God can. What do I bring? Life. And if God wants to do judgment, bring judgment, that's God's business, not mine. I'm done hacking people's ears and necks and legs and knees and arms. God is a holy God. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Mike brought so beautifully 
Remember Jesus. Remember, remember. Just a little bit more in that passage. It talks about communion. And this is setting, I hope, I hope a, uh, a context for what kind of God we serve. In communion, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. 27, it says this. So then, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a messy church. Powerful church, but a messy, really messy church. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. 27. So then, speaking of communion, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Every, don't freak out, you're still breathing, okay? We're all good. Any who eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body, the, the body, and the blood of the Lord. Everyone, everyone, who? Everyone, all of us, every single person, everyone ought to examine you, ought to examine Guy, ought to examine Mike, ought to examine John Block, Jim Cop, Pastor Tom, he thinks he says this. No, everyone ought to examine themselves. Inventory. Not you, me. Before they eat, of the, eat and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But, we, but if we are, we're more discerning with regard to who? Ourselves. We would not come under judgment. So if I'm not judging, I'm examining, we're blessed. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally be condemned by the world. Examine myself. And this is going to be my whole point today and probably next week. God's not interested in me judging anybody. Anybody, including myself. But I examine myself. How am I doing? Do I have baggage? Do I have an anger issue like Moses? Amazing, amazing mighty man Moses. He had an anger issue that was unresolved. And the Lord says, all I want you to do is when you remember me, just remember me. What's going on in the inside of me? I don't need to worry whether Brian is taking my parking space in the parking lot and that's my space and then he comes and sits in my chair because I like to sit six row on the edge every week and Brian keeps sitting in my chair. He's annoying. I think he just wants to annoy me. Anybody ever get bothered by somebody else? Do you have, are you alive? <laughs> Maybe you're much further along in life than I am. People bother me. I mean, not you, them, people on the highways. So often we want to judge and disqualify others. Many times we judge and disqualify ourselves. Neither is acceptable. It's to find the grace of God. The Bible says, and he actually talked about this, he says, you know what? And I'm going to read the scripture in just a second, probably conclude shortly thereafter. Mm. <laughs> Let me just read the scripture real quick. I'm going to be really good here. Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5. 
Matthew 7. It's a beautiful passage. It's Jesus. If you have a Bible, it's red. It's Jesus. Jesus is teaching the people how to live your life. Matthew 7, verse 1. Lord, help me. Help me to hear and understand. Matthew 7, Jesus is teaching people. He said, do not judge. I wonder what that means. What if he actually meant it? Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> Come on. doesn't mean that. He didn't have a car. He wasn't on the highways. Do not judge. Because if you do, you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, harsh, critical, frustrated, angry, smiting rocks, smiting people, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust and your brother's eye? Sawdust is not big, right? Why do you look at the tiny speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Insert for plank, log, beam, I-beam, pole, telephone pole, large. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. To understand, I'm not holy in and of myself. I just might sin today. Is that possible? Is it likely? How rude. <laughs> it is possible I may blow it today on some minute aspect. Heaven help me. The bottom line is I'm not perfect, but there is one who is, and his name is Jesus, and he's the only one. The Bible says no, not one is righteous, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God, everyone. So Jesus' teaching is this. Look, dude, Tom, you ain't perfect. Stop judging everyone else. Why don't you do you instead of judging everyone else? It's going to go a lot better for you if you stop judging everyone else. Well, what about this sin? That really annoys me, and that sin, and that sin. I don't do that. Well, you want to start comparing? <laughs> no, 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 no. For people outside of this room, do you think anyone else... Do you think anyone else knows when I'm judging them? Do you think anyone senses when I'm judging them? Do you think anybody recognizes, feels on the inside when I'm judging them? Hands up. If you think anyone can sense. The rest of you can go to class with me. You ever been around somebody and you recognize they don't like you? John Block and Rick Perryman and I just went to India a month ago. I felt people judging me. I felt lots of people not liking me. I felt lots of people wanting me to probably stop breathing. They didn't tell me that. You could just feel the venom, the hatred towards a Westerner. They probably were, yes, envious of my hair. Get that. 
They didn't say anything to me. There was one woman who spit at us. You two didn't notice, but there was one woman who spit at us. Second floor, missed it both. People know, they sense when there's animosity towards them. You can pick it up. You don't have to be ultra intuitive to understand it. And I want to be the sort of person that people come to when they're help, when they need help. I want to be the sort of person that's filled with God's grace, that's filled with God's mercy, that when they're in trouble, they come to somebody who they know they're not going to get judged by. I want to be that person when they want to find God, they come to me. Instead of thinking the last person on the face of the earth would be Tom Kyle. Why? Because he's so stinking judgmental. All I hear coming out of his mouth is blah, 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 blah. I want to be the type of person that somebody comes to. That if, cool, we'll use Dana. Excuse me, she's come to me and she's asked me if I could help remove something from her eye, a tiny speck. Now, being the ophthalmologist that I am, I'm like, sure, I'd be happy to help take that out. Now, if she's going to trust her eyeball and the speck in her eye, pardon? Just the touching of the eye. The touching of the eye. What's the problem? No good? You don't like someone touching your eye? Okay, this is not staged or rehearsed in any way. I have major eye issues. Nobody touches my eye. If I ever have to have contacts, I will not. <laughs> I, I freak out when people start touching eyes. I can't, my wife likes these medical things where they see on the videos, videos of, of somebody getting their eye touched. Thank you. I freak out when I, I, I walk out of the room. Nobody's going to touch my eye. But when you have something in your eye, you need somebody that you can trust to reach in and touch your eye. Because they're going to have to get really, really close. And do you want somebody coming at your eye with a chainsaw or with a Q-tip? Do you want a chainsaw coming at your eye or someone with a Q-tip? Moses, at the end of his life, was more like a chainsaw. Frustrated, angry, beating up on rocks. Where am I at in life? Because do you understand, we serve a holy God. And all these people around me, at work, at home, they're his people. And he's a holy God and he loves them very much. And in my frustration, do I realize He's a holy God, and people around me know I'm a Christian. Am I the sort of person that is coming across to everybody as a chainsaw person? You got a problem? No problem. Zip. Off with the head. Zip. Got a problem with pornography? Zip. Cut off that left arm. Got a problem with alcohol, Audrey? I know. Zip. Off with the right hand. I won't even do it. Heather, stealing again, code of Hammurabi. Zip, zip, twofer. <laughs> what type of person am I? Do I want to be the type of person the world would come to because I know I'm going to address the, the speck in their eye with a Q-tip, with the love of God, recognizing he's a holy God 
who's entrusted me to represent him with the kindness and mercy and tenderness. What type of person am I? Can we all stand up real quick? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you sent Jesus, that we would know exactly what you're like. That sinners came to you, Jesus. Sinners found you. Sinners wanted to eat with you. Sinners invited you to their house. Sinners were so welcome with you because you weren't a chainsaw person. You touched the untouchable. You loved the unlovely. Sinners came to you and gave you life savings. Poured out their life savings on you because they just felt your love. Jesus, with this, this church, with this family, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would, you would bring revelation of a holy God that we serve. A holy God. And if there's any judgment, it's for you to do, not me. If there's any judgment to be passed, it's your job, not mine. I'm here to love people, show mercy to people, bless people, love people really, really well. That when people encounter me, they encounter a merciful father, a loving father, a good father. The father that my attitude is, I want to approach people's pain with a Q-tip, with something soft and kind and merciful and gentle. Recognizing people are in deep pain. They're messed up, they're broken, they're hurt. And Lord, when they encounter us, they encounter you. I'm merciful. That's the way you loved me. You brought me in, Lord, and changed me into your family with patience. Over decades, you've shown me patience. Father, I pray that an understanding, a revelation of who you are, that that judgment is your job, not mine. I'm a dispenser of mercy and kindness. Father, you would just work that like yeast through dough, work that through our body, that you're holy, I'm not. I'm a blesser. We're a blesser. We give life away in large measure. Holy Spirit, do what you do so well. Help me take ugly eyes off and put on the eyes of grace and love. Bless us as a church family, Lord, that the world would feel safe with us because they're encountering Jesus. Bless us, Lord, with supernatural, amazing, abundant new births this year. Bless us, Lord. Amen and amen. Have an amazing week. Encourage somebody. Bless somebody. Everybody come to church next week with a Q-tip.